This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is the special New Year's Eve edition of the Roger Stone Show. You'll be able to check out my 15th annual international best and worst dressed list, New Year's Day at StoneZone.com. It's absolutely free. Uh, I've given you a little sneak preview of some of them who made this year's list. But now we turn to our meat and potatoes. That's politics. Uh, and joining me is a criminal defense attorney, uh, David Schoen, who very ably represented President Donald Trump uh, in one of his impeachment trials. Uh, to my mind, David Schoen may be the most brilliant legal mind in the country. Uh, sorry, Professor Dershowitz, but that's just the way I see it. Uh, and I am uh, very honored to have him with us today. David Schoen, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you. It's a great honor for me, but uh, I'm not going to say any maybes when it comes to you. You're the single most politically savvy uh, person in that field or in any field, I suppose, uh, in the country today and have been for decades. Well, we have a mutual admiration society going here, but we got a lot of important questions to get to. Uh, let's start with the, the news uh, late this week. Uh, you had several things happen. First of all, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court uh, moved to uh, or ruled that Trump should be removed from the ballot, but then they stayed their ruling pending either uh, uh, the U U.S. Supreme Court taking up uh, an appeal by President Trump or reaffirming the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. Uh, you had uh, the Michigan State Supreme Court turn down efforts to remove Trump from the ballot. Uh, then you had a new motion to uh, in Maine to uh, move, remove Trump from the ballot. That means there are efforts underway in Alaska, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, New Mexico, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming, uh, and you have appeals now going on in Arizona and Michigan. Uh, the argument is somehow that the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, specifically Ar uh, Article 3, prohibits Trump uh, from being on the ballot. You have argued, saw you on CNN the other day, you have argued very articulately that that is not the case. David, break this down for us. That's uh, a very good introduction. Uh, yeah, you're right. I want to just give you one aside, though, to show how ridiculous this gets. In the challenge in Maine, one of the three challengers made an ar a different argument. He argued that under the 22nd Amendment, since President Trump claims he won the last election, he should be barred from this ballot because the 22nd Amendment prohibits someone from holding office twice. That's just how silly this thing has gotten. But now back to your 
And he said, by the way, if President Trump would admit he lost the election, he would withdraw his challenge. These people are playing games with the First and Fourteenth Amendment rights of every voter in this country and every person who would stand for president of the United States. There's no place for this. But, all right, your question is break it down, the, the real challenge they're bringing. Fourteenth Amendment, Section 3, says that if someone's committed, in, been involved with insurrection or rebellion, can't stand for public office. There are many reasons Colorado court got it wrong. Um, the most, to me, the most significant and important and fundamental one is the textual one. It doesn't apply to the president of the United States. If you look at the legislative history, they considered their, uh, one version had the term president in there as one of the people who would be disqualified if he or she was involved in insurrection rebellion. They took that out. They specifically mentioned other positions. Um, so uh, that, that's, you know, that's a pretty good indication right there. Um, second, a second textual reason would be, and this goes back to a case called Griffin's case in 1869. Supreme Court Justice Salmon Chase sat on the case, and he said, this is not self-executing, meaning there would have to be federal legislation in order to enact that. Well, sure enough, Section 5 of the 14th Amendment says that Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Now, you can make an argument that Congress sort of acted when they uh, instituted the insurrection statute, criminal insurrection, 18 U.S.C. 2383, which also has as a remedy if someone's convicted criminally of insurrection that that person can't hold public office. But they never charged President Trump with insurrection. So they're trying to backdoor here. And what we know for sure is this group of people who's been after President Trump since he took office, Norm Eisen and his fellow travelers, Andrew Weissman and others, drafted model prosecution memos for the Justice Department in each of the federal cases against uh, President Trump. One thing they suggested was bringing a criminal charge of insurrection. The prosecutor knew they could not make out a charge of insurrection, knew the First Amendment challenges that would be raised, and so they didn't bring it. So not only has President Trump ever been convicted of insurrection, he's never been charged with it, and intentionally so. So to now have some Secretary of State or some state court find that he committed insurrection, not only should have been charged, but he's guilty of it, and therefore he can't stand for president, and the 75 million people or whoever voted last time for him, and maybe more this time, can't exercise their vote for him, would be an absolute outrageous uh, breach of the Constitution and the guarantee between that Constitution and Americans. Yeah, it was interesting to me that the Colorado uh, lower court where you had a, a very, very partisan judge. Uh, uh, and she basically said the president was guilty of insurrection, despite the fact that he has not been convicted of insurrection in any federal court. Uh, but she uh, declined the case uh, based on the fact that Trump was not technically an officer of the United States. And the Supreme Court has previously held uh, in their analysis, that an officer of the United States uh, it does not include the president or the vice president. So this argument is flawed two ways. One, the lack of any conviction for insurrection, never mind even being charged with it. But secondarily, this statute was designed to keep Confederates after the Civil War from holding federal office, and it specifically does not include the president of the United States. Uh, but it, it's very clever 
uh, in that the, the plaintiffs in most of these cases are Republican or independent voters in these states uh, that they have recruited essentially to be straw men, to be front people for this organization crew, uh, which the claim they claim has to do with ethics, but which is in fact just a George Soros funded uh, lawfare operation uh, helmed by Norm Eisen. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about Norm Eisen, can't you, David? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he served as, ironically, he served as President Obama's ethics counsel, and then he made him an ambassador, I think, to the Czech Republic. He has made a career out of going after Donald Trump. He wrote up a 169 or so page treatise with another fellow, uh, basically saying early on in the Trump administration why Trump should be impeached, convicted of a crime, sentenced to prison, and so on. He then uh, had crew bring lawsuit against President Trump under the so-called emoluments clause, saying that he had benefited personally through his hotels and so on, uh, based on his office. Um, he brought a number, a series of other cases. At the same time, he took a position as investigative counsel for a congressional committee looking into these things so that any discovery and investigation they conducted certainly would help him in his group's uh, civil cases and all that. He then has written these prosecution model memos and helped others write them. Um, it's really extraordinary for a person to make such, have such an obsession like Andrew Weissman um, with this. And so now we know that you know, Norm Eisen is behind crew and some, many of these challenges around the country. And I think he wears it in his group, at least as a badge of honor. I think it, 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 what it reflects is every way possible to deny the American voters their right to vote. And, uh, you know, Jerry Nadler said it best, I believe in 2019, when he said, we can't trust the voters. About as undemocratic a comment as I could ever imagine a member of Congress making, um, slap in the face to every American out there. I cherish the right to vote, and I think every other American does. Um, and so Norm Eisen and th this group of folks, like a Jerry Nadler, try to find every way possible to not trust the voters and to deny President Trump a position on the ballot so that votes can't be cast for him. And, you know, frankly, I think, I, I think so, it's heartening, I think, as an American to see that the polls just soar up for President Trump when these kinds of things happen. Because at the end of the day, however one felt about President Trump, positive, negative, neutral before, fair-minded Americans see these as extrajudicial, extra-ballot, so, so to speak, attacks on the institution of the presidency, specifically on President Trump in this case, and they don't want that. They want to be able to have a straight-up, fair election, cast their vote for whoever that's going to be. So uh, the case in Colorado uh, where the state Supreme Court has has essentially decided to remove Trump from the ballot, but then stayed their own decision pending Supreme Court action, if the court takes Trump's appeal and they rule for Trump, would that have the effect of ending all of these efforts in all of these other states I just listed to remove Trump yeah, from the ballot? I, I, I think so. You know, it's a great question because it depends on how it does it. We have a real time constraint here. Ballots have to be printed and ballots under the UACAVA, which is the Absentee Ballot Uniform Services Act. Um, they, those ballots have to go out to overseas folks, military and otherwise, 45 days ahead of the, of the federal election. Um, so they really, we're running up against a time constraint. I could imagine 
that the Supreme Court could take the Colorado uh, decision and issue a summary order reversing it. Um, and that wouldn't quite have, you know, the kind of presidential effect one might like it to have on all the other states. It would be moronic for any other state to continue to try to keep them off the ballot, because that would have spoken loudly and clearly. But that may be a consequence of what happens here, given the time constraint. Um, That's also why it's a good thing that Colorado state its order and that President Trump remains on the ballot, as he does in Maine, because if it were the other way, then I would really worry about the time constraints leading the court to not get involved in it, and he would stay off the ballot. I can't imagine a world in which that would happen, um, that they're going to make such a monumental decision sort of just by summary order, in that case, the other direction. But here they could, once he's on the ballot, and they believe that to be the right result, they could do it by summary order, not take oral argument and all of that. We're just going to have to see how that plays out. It's an important question also because you've got decisions in the Michigan case that was just decided, similar to the Minnesota case. It's kind of a preliminary decision. What they said was, well, we're not going to get them off of the ballot for the primaries because there is a whole body of jurisprudence that says a political party who earned the right to have primaries and all that, meaning a major political party within that state, has the right to determine who its candidates will be on a primary ballot, even if that includes an an ineligible candidate. And so they said this can be raised again in the general election. Someone could move to get them off the ballot then. But I think if the Colorado decision is reversed, that's going to send the message to everybody that you don't use the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to get a president off. It may say that. It may say that. Plus, there's been no proof of insurrection. We don't do it by single-judge fiat here. partisan political decision um and it may be a combination of those things maybe one or the other but as long as they send a strong message that the colorado decision is reversed that's the key here one last thing i want to bring to my uh, to the listeners is you know this judge uh, not a judge the secretary of state in maine maine has a unique system rather than presenting this to a court it's presented as a matter of first course to the secretary of state secretary of state is a democrat in that state has issued one after another statement convicting in her mind President Trump of insurrection, very negative things. She made now a finding under 14th Amendment, Section 3, a legal issue over which scholars for decades have differed. She made a decision that it applies and that it bars him from being on the ballot. I want every listener out there to know she has not a lawyer. She has zero legal training. And she made this kind of decision with this kind of monumental effect. It's really unbelievable to me. Fortunately, in Maine, they have the right to appeal it to the Maine Superior Court, but then it's got to work its way up. It's a complicated process. That's why I wondered whether the Colorado decision might short-circuit all of this. Uh, So uh, turning now to the D.C. case uh, brought by Special Counsel Jack Smith, The lower court judge, or I should say the trial court judge, Judge Chutkin, denied uh, a motion uh, by President Trump in which he claimed that under the Constitution he had legal immunity for acts performed while he was president. Uh, He then has the option uh, and was moving towards taking that to the Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C., which is, uh, I've been to that court, that's a, an unfavorable jurisdiction for the president. Uh, but then Special Counsel Smith tried to leapfrog 
the Circuit Court of Appeals and go directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, thus, I think, demonstrating that his timeline here is political, not legal. He's desperate to have a trial as soon as possible. He wants to have it March 4th, the day before the March 5th Tuesday Super Tuesday primary, in which the single largest catch of delegates for the presidential nomination uh, will be uh, will be elected, or should say, selected, uh, and the the court, the Supreme Court declined to hear that uh, and kicked it back to the Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, David, what's going on here? Yeah, well, it's also a, a real mess, and you're one hundred percent right. Uh, it had to have been only political to try to uh, short-circuit the process and circumvent the Court of Appeals. The court, the Supreme Court was absolutely right to reject it. The, um, the special counsel, so-called, uh, tried to claim that this is similar to uh, the Nixon case that, in which the court allowed them to circumvent it. But that case simply involved a subpoena, a timely issue about a subpoena in the case, and it considered that. This is the fundamental what we have here is the fundamental question in the case. Um, so they were right to reject that. Um, it, he does simply insist on having the trial when it is, and now it shouldn't be. There's another reason this, sh- this trial really should not go forward in March in any event, and that's because the United States Supreme Court has agreed to take up the question of what uh, the obstruction statute means. That's one of the uh, – President Trump is charged with the obstruction statute also. The Supreme Court has granted certiorari to construe that statute. There's no possible way in fairness that President Trump's trial should go forward until that issue is decided also. But the immunity issue is also, uh, you know, a key question. Um, there, there, there was no good reason to try to, uh, to, try to uh, circumvent it. Um, I think that, uh, I, 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 by the way, you know, the, the reason that Smith proffered as to why it had to hear the case now is that he wasn't sure that the, case, the court could fully consider the issue and decide it within this term of court. There's no reason for it to have to be decided with this, within this term of court. You're talking about a major constitutional issue. Nobody's going anyplace. The court should take its time and uh, hear a full briefing and full argument after it's already been parsed through by the Court of Appeals. Um, it, it, it's just it's really abhorrent. But at each step of the way, Smith and the others show that these prosecutions were just brought to try to impact the election. It's inappropriate. It's an abuse of the judicial process. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I should point out to our listeners that uh, David Schoen is not a Republican. Uh, I don't think he's a conservative. Uh, he has really made his name in civil rights cases across the South. Uh, and uh, to my mind, uh, he is 
reached his conclusions based on on what has transpired rather than any partisan fervor on his part. This is one of the reasons why I have so much respect for you, David. Uh, David Schoen is a, a, has a master's of law degree from Columbia University Law School. He has a juris doctor cum laude uh, from the uh, Boston College Law School. Uh, and uh, uh, like me, he attended George Washington University for his uh, undergrad. Uh, David, the, the, the question uh, of obstruction uh, conceivably has an impact on the cases of many of the defendants uh, charged in connection with January 6th, no? That's right. No, it, it absolutely does. And what does it mean to obstruct a proceeding? What's an official proceeding? Uh, and so on. It's all, all of these issues are going to have to be sorted out. Um, uh, you know, I, I worry that the court has in its mind the impact of its decision, but there have been other situations we've faced the court in which the impact could be tremendous um, in, set in terms of sentencing or reversing a number of convictions. And hopefully the court just, you know, does the right thing and construes it consistent with the language that's being used. Um, and so that that's one question. But the immunity issue is also, as you've said, you know, a very important issue. And President Trump has said at all times that in the, any actions he took with respect to this election, he believed he was required to take under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 8, requires him to faithfully execute the office of president, make sure the laws are followed, and defend the Constitution. Um, Article 2, Section 3 also, you know, he takes an oath of office, and uh, he was fulfilling those things. And so some of these people, you know, present the issue as, well, you know, you don't have immunity for life, you're out of office, or they're, they're really misconstruing the issue. He took those actions, whatever actions he took, he took when he was president of the United States. They want to say, well, but he was also a candidate. Therefore, he took it in his capacity as candidate for the next presidency, um, next term of office. Uh, you know, we don't want courts being in the position of trying to read minds and see which hat someone was wearing at which time. It would be very different if there were so-called crime of another nature. This is directly related to his obligations as president of the United States, one of the most fundamental obligations. People don't like that he didn't, uh, that he thought there was fraud involved in the uh, result, but that's what he was told by uh, people who he consulted with at the time. He firmly believed it. And in terms of, you know, this idea that he was telling Vice President Pence to do something he couldn't do, I will tell you that uh, foremost experts on uh, the Electoral Count Act and election law in general, including a professor from Ohio State, has said nobody really knows what the vice president's role is under the Electoral Count Act. So, you know, these are not it was a, it's a terrible thing to be using the criminal process to this for this as much as enemies of President Trump might like it, might like to try to make him squirm or might like to try to use it to keep him off the ballot. But uh, it's just it, it's terrible that we do this because. You can be sure it's going to be misused against someone else in the future. And by the way, you're, you're right that I don't associate with any political group. I've represented the Democratic Party. I represent a socialist candidate for president. I've represented the Libertarian Party, independent candidates. But one group I will disassociate myself with forever is what I call the hate squad, that group of bigots um, uh, who are anti-American uh, members of Congress, starting with Tlaibe, Omar, Bowman, and AOC and the rest of the crowd. That uh, I would never have any political allegiance to that, I can assure you. 
for those who don't know, David Schoen has just returned from Israel. Uh, he is a, a stout uh, advocate uh, uh, for the state of Israel. Uh, he's a, a devout Jew, uh, and he is as outraged as I am uh, at this wave uh, of mindless anti-Semitism uh, that we see uh, manifesting itself, particularly in New York City. The idea that the tree lighting ceremony at Rockefeller Center would be destroyed, one of the, one of the greatest Christmas traditions uh, in the New York area would be destroyed by pro-Palestinian demonstrators. To me, I'm sorry, this... This just boggles my mind. We're going to talk about this a little later in the show with Democratic political strategist Hank Sheinkoff. If you're just tuning in, folks, this is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC, and we're talking to criminal defense lawyer David Schoen. Uh, David, uh, former Attorney General uh, Ed Meese uh, and two other uh legal authorities filed an amicus brief uh, with uh, uh, the court last week uh, in which they challenge the legitimacy uh, and the legality of uh, Jack Smith's appointment uh, as special counsel. Now, if there had to, were to be a court finding in that regard, as I understand it, as a non-lawyer, it would negate all of the indictments brought by Mr. Smith. Uh, talk to us uh, about uh, what is the case that Meese uh, and these two college professors are making? Right. Well, it's a very important and very interesting constitutional argument. The two professors, Gary Lawson and Stephen Calabrese, are well-respected uh, conservative uh, scholars, not fans of President Donald Trump. They originally raised this issue in a law review article in the Boston University School of Law. Uh, Lawson is at BU, Calabrese is at Northwestern. They raised it in 2019 in an article called Why Robert Mueller's Appointment as Special Counsel Was Unlawful. And their point is that the appointment process uh, for a person to have this kind of authority is a different process under the Constitution, requires the president's involvement. And so it's unconstitutional to give the kind of authority to a Mueller or to a Smith that's been given to him, given the subject of the investigation and the potential consequences um, of the investigation. So now Ed Meese joined that argument and filed this uh, amicus brief. Um, I will say this. The argument was rejected in a D.C. Circuit Court opinion in 2019, but it doesn't really uh, analyze it carefully at all. And um, and it hasn't been raised, you know, now as to Mr. Smith. It was raised in connection with the Mueller uh, issue back then. I have to say that I, I'm hopeful uh, for the legal issue to come to life, really, that President Trump's lawyers raised the issue in their motions to dismiss. Uh, and this is not just being raised by way of amicus brief, but... Um, uh, Calabrese and Lawson and Edmise, of course, are not people to just be ignored. It's certainly not a frivolous argument by any means. And Calabrese um, actually has uh, an interesting guy. He originally took the position that 14th Amendment Section 3 could apply to a president of the United States. He then wrote a letter uh, of apology, in a sense, in the Wall Street Journal 
in which he said he's been convinced otherwise he was wrong and that it does not apply. But he's also made no bones about the idea that he doesn't support President Trump in any way. He's looking at this as a legal issue. Um, and uh, and I, I think his reasoning seems quite sound, frankly. Um, we'll see where that issue goes. I think the court's going to have to address it. It's true they could sidestep it and come up with a different rationale for uh, for their decision, whatever that decision is going to be. But um, it's a serious it's a serious argument. Well, I would hope that uh, President Trump's lawyers would raise this issue in the 11th Circuit in Florida, since it has already been adjudicated pertaining to Robert Mueller unsuccessfully in D.C. As I understand it, it would not preclude Trump from raising the issue uh, uh, in the in the in the documents case. Uh, in any event, I'll, I'll tell you that's a, it's a very important point you raise. I, I will tell you this without violating any kind of privilege. Uh, probably the first memo that I wrote on this to the subject of that prosecution uh, raised this issue that it must be raised in that case, whether it was succeeded in D.C. or not. It had to be raised and preserved. So I'm hoping that it was. That was in the Florida case, and of course in the D.C. case. All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank David Schoen, criminal defense lawyer, represented President Donald Trump most ably in his impeachment trial. Uh, Happy New Year to you, David, and many thanks for joining The Roger Stone Show.